This is 15-Minute History, a podcast for educators, students, and history buffs featuring the minds and talents of the University of Texas at Austin. 15-Minute History is a partnership of Not Even Past and Hemispheres in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin. Hi, I'm Joan Newberger, editor of Not Even Past, and your host today for this episode of 15-Minute History. Our topic today is Mesoamerica, and our guest is Anne Twynham, a professor in the history department at UT Austin who specializes in colonial Latin America. Hi, Anne. How are you, Joan? Good. Uh, Well, let's just start with the definition. What is Mesoamerica? I think sort of broadly we can define Mesoamerica as an area that includes Mexico and and Central America. Um, And in that area, when we talk about pre-contact civilizations, we're talking about the Olmec, the Maya, and the Aztec as three of the major, there are many other civilizations, but three of the major ones. And when you say pre-contact, you mean before the Europeans arrived in the New World. I'd like to say that better than conquest. Yeah. (laughs) Good. Um, Let's start with the lay of the land. What are some of the key characteristics of geography? What kind of natural resources? And how did they shape Mesoamerica before, for the centuries before Europeans arrived? I think it's a great question. I think the first thing you need to do is kind of imagine the topography. And one way is to sort of think of Mexico, to think of Mexico and Mesoamerica is to imagine it kind of as a pyramid, a sort of 3D pyramid, and then sort of chop it horizontally halfway down, and then look at it from the side. And that's kind of what Mexico looks like. That you In the center, we have this high plateau with mountains that are running north and south. And then the side, of Mexico and, the, and Central America sort of slope downward to the sea level areas, uh, including the, the ports of Veracruz on the Caribbean and Acapulco in the Pacific. And why is the topography important? Has it had a historical impact? The topography is critical because it meant that there were different resources in the highlands than in the coast. Um, and so there were areas for trade and, for, and also uh, brought about conquest as well. Um, the central area, the high area, pr- produced obsidian, which is really critical. It's a black volcanic stone, and it's as sharp as surgical steel. So it was a, clearly an important uh, trade artifact. And the lowlands produced um, seashells and feathers from tropical birds, and these were in- considered to be very valuable for rituals. Um, and also, the topography is important because um, the mountains on, the, on that central plateau are running north and south. And what that meant is that they were an easy corridor for tribes migrating southward. And the history of Mesoamerica is really the history of people on the move as people are moving from north to south. Another key characteristic, um, unlike what we are familiar with in North America or in the U.S., is the absence of navigable rivers. So it's very difficult to move goods from one place to another. And this was made even harder because there were really no animal resources in Mesoamerica. There were no large domesticated animals. There were no beasts of burden. Um, If you move something in Mesoamerica, it moved either on the backs of men or on canoes if you uh, were situated on a lake. Mm -hmm. Well, let's turn to talk about the people. Um, What are the key groups of people or the key civilizations in Mesoamerica? Well, there are many, but the three that I thought I'd talk about in five minutes apiece uh, were the Olmec, the Maya, and the Aztecs. And so um, we could look at those in uh, chronological order. 
Um, and one of the earliest Mesoamerican peoples were the Olmecs, who arose during what we call the formative period from about 1500 BCE to 400 BCE. And they established settlements both in the Mexican highlands and along the coast. And they're really important because they're called the mother culture of the Americas, for they're associated with a number of characteristics that then later passed on to other Mesoamerican civilizations, such as the Maya and the Aztec. And these included a lot of things. Um, one was monumental sculpture. The Olmecs are known for their huge carved heads. These were 6 to 15 feet high. They weighed tons. And they were very characteristic. They had slanted eyes and sort of squished noses and flattened lips. If you see one, you know it's Olmec. Um, they're also known for their ceremonial complexes. The Olmecs were the first to build central places for worship with defined avenues. Um, another thing the Olmecs are known for is that they constructed some of the first pyramids. Um, and uh, later civilizations also, of course, had, had pyramids, although they looked somewhat different than the Olmecs. But they were the first. They were also the first, uh, I suppose, in sports because the Olmecs were the ones we now know who started or, or associated with starting the complex ball game that Mesoamerican peoples played. They, um, you would try to put a rubber ball between uh, and put it through high hoops. And, the, and these, these civilizations created literal ball courts with places for people to sit and watch these games. And the first of these ceremonial complexes appears in the Olmecs. Uh, the other thing the Olmecs did was count really well. Uh, when we uh, we used to think that it was the Maya who lived centuries later who invented the calendar, but now we know that it originated with the Olmecs. Uh, they invented uh, two calendars: the solar calendar of 365 days and the lunar one of 260 days. And every 52 years, which was the first day of the lunar and solar calendar, these days coincided. But when these two 52-year, when the 52-year cycle coincided, the first day coincided. This is critical. Because um, Mesoamerican peoples think in 52-year chunks. Just as we think in decades or centuries, they think in 52-year chunks. And so it was the, the, the uh, we think now, the Olmecs who were the first to sort of begin the 52-year chunk thinking, which also becomes very important later for the Maya and also even as important for the, for the Aztecs. So this was another thing that they pioneered. Uh, we used to think, again, the poor Maya are getting dissed here a bit, but we used to think the Maya developed writing, but now we know that it began with the Olmec too. Uh, so th these are important reasons, given their um, their architecture and their um, the ball courts and the calendar, why they really are the sort of mother culture of the Americas. And uh, so did the Olmec civilization simply disappear? Did it merge into later cultures? Um, what happened? Well, when we never know, we always have a series of things that might have happened, you know, people's revolting uh, environmental reasons. In this case, there might have been a volcanic eruption. There could have been climate change. Uh, it's one of those mysteries we still haven't solved. Mm -hmm. uh, well, let's turn then to talk about the second great group, the Maya. Um, when did they become important or when did they appear? In Mesoamerica. Yeah, the Maya uh, appear around um, 0 BCE, and their pre-contact civilization is important uh, through 800. But unlike the Olmecs, um, the Maya continue to exist today in, in modern Guatemala, in, in Mexico, in Yucatan, the, and in Belize and Honduras. There are still peoples who are descended from the Maya and who, who still speak uh, Maya dialects. Uh, and were they similar to the Olmecs? Or um, you've already talked about things that 
we thought were that were originated by the Maya, but in fact turned out to be older. Yeah, as I said, the 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 Olmecs are the mother culture, but then later civilizations like the Maya also uh, picked up and also did some of these uh, char- characteristic things. For example, just like the Olmec, perhaps even more impressive than the Olmec, the Maya built. Uh, ceremonial centers, and these, are, of course, are now important tourist sites such as Uxmal or Chichen Itza and Tikal. However, the Maya pyramids are very distinctive from um, other Mesoamerican pyramids because they're really steep and really narrow. But the Maya also had the same ball courts or had ball courts like the Olmec, and they also used the version, the same version of the Mesoamerican calendar. Um, they, too, um, had this view of time and divided their chronology into these 52-year cycles. They innovated, though, in that they developed a way of counting back. So they counted each individual 52-year cycle as it went back. And so because of that, th- this is something called the long count, which made, made it possible for them to really count back thousands of years um, in their history. And, of course, it was these kinds of cycles and counting that we associated a few years ago with that sort of false worry that the Maya calendar had predicted that the world was going to end in uh, 2012. It was part of these cyclical counts that that idea arose. So what happened was after the classic Maya civilization collapsed around 900, although the Maya themselves didn't disappear, they largely abandoned many of their uh, ceremonial centers. And so when the Spanish arrived in the early 16th century, Although many of these centers still existed, um, the Maya themselves couldn't read the writings on their codices, or they had inscriptions that were carved throughout the temples or on their carved on sort of obelisks. Their history was effectively lost. As time went on, many of their centers were covered with jungle and trees. They were only discovered um, by explorers such as John Stevens in the early 19th century, or or more recently, infrared satellites have been used to try to locate um, Maya ruins. And the first interpretations were essentially that they were the intellectuals of the Americas. And remember, we we gave them all these accomplishments of like writing and the calendar and all these things, which we now know they didn't pioneer. But um, it was clear that they had a sophisticated form of writing. And the theory developed that they were this peaceful intellectual civilization and with particular interest in mathematics and astronomy. So one of the great challenges of the 20th century, and actually still go ongoing, so it's the 21st century as well, was to try to decipher the Maya script and to find more about this civilization in their own words. Oh, that's great. So how has learning to read their texts changed what we know about them? What, um, what do we know about them now we didn't know before? Well, their glyphs told us everything. They really told us their histories. So we now know who their leaders were. We know about their wars. We know more about the their religion. We know that far from being the sort of peaceful stargazers that we thought, we now know they engaged in constant uh, combat. Nor was their uh, religion um, non, non-bloody or the, it was uh, not ethereal. They sort of forwarded and continued this Mesoamerican propensity for offering blood as a gift to the gods. Uh, especially the Mayan nobles, both men and women, and we we have pictures of these now. We see them now in the paintings and uh, doing this. They were expected to offer blood to the gods. The women um, often would put spines through their tongues, and and so then blood would come, and they would sacrifice the blood. And the men had some instruments that allowed them to. Um, prick even more sensitive reproductive parts. Um, So you could look at those pictures as well. Um, So the Maya were uh, not as um, 
uh, peaceful or otherworldly as we previously thought, um, although they really pale compared to the more current understandings of the Mexica, or um, as we call them more commonly, the Aztecs. So then uh, when did the Aztecs appear, and how do they how do they fit into this picture of civilizations in Mesoamerica? Well, the Aztecs are really part of this whole Mesoamerican theme, um, the theme of migration that I talked about, uh, of, of migrating peoples moving from north to south. And we have in the Aztec codices these histories, uh, their history as they engaged in this migration. And we know they moved down into the Central Valley and what was a lake system, or which is now around Mexico City in the uh, 1320s. And this area was already settled by numerous other city-states. And in the early years, the Aztecs were subordinate to these other city-states. But eventually they founded their capital, Tenochtitlan, which was located on an island in the lake system. And the center of Tenochtitlan is now modern Mexico City. Um, Like the Olmecs and the Maya, again, this is a Mesoamerican theme. The Aztec built pyramids, um, ball courts, they had ceremonial centers, and they also used the uh, 52-year calendar. How were they they different from the earlier peoples? Uh, The Aztecs really were the most successful expansionists, I think, in the pre-contact period. They conquered from the Pacific coast to the Caribbean. And they were demanding tribute from conquered populations, and this, of course, is related to this idea that as populations grew and this was an environment where it was resource scarce, um, the conquering civilizations would try to get food and other kinds of tribute flowing into the center to help them, help their population grow. Um, And so conquest became an important part of uh, the Aztec uh, history. Um, Of course, what's most known about the Aztecs is that sort of conquest also went along with their practice of bloodletting, and they carried it to the Mesoamerican extreme, for sure, um, transferring this into tens of thousands of people who were killed through um, human uh, sacrifice. To understand why this happened, it's a pretty gory thing to think that the Aztecs um, were so involved in human sacrifice that sometimes tens of thousands of people could be killed, in, in one case in the dedication of the great temple at Tenochtitlan, But you have to understand it sort of from the Aztec perspective, um, from the Aztec sort of cosmovision or religion or their view of where they were in the world. And sort of critical to this was their creation myth. The Aztecs believed the world had been created and destroyed four times before they had lived. And so they believed they lived in the fifth world that had been created. They called it a sun. And at the start of the fifth sun, according to their legends, the world was in darkness, and so the gods met to create the world. And they asked one god to sort of throw himself in the fire and sort of let the world begin, but the god chickened out. So then they asked another god, and he was a lesser god, and so he finally threw himself in to the fire so that the world might be created, and then the first god was ashamed, so he jumped into the fire as well. And then the story goes, the gods uh, waited around the fire for the sun and the moon to rise, and when they didn't, they asked why the two gods hadn't you know, turned themselves into the sun and the moon and created the new world. And the um, gods said they were waiting for sacrifice. And so as the legend goes, one by one, the gods threw themselves into the fire. And as they did so, the sun and moon began to rise and the world was created again. And this established then this fundamental idea that sacrifice to the gods was essential to keep the world going. First sacrifice of gods themselves and then later um, human sacrifice. These were quite large scale sacrifices. Um, Who were the victims? Uh, And... 
what did they think of this? Where where did they come from? Well, the victims came from uh, various different uh, groups. Many of them were warriors. When the Aztecs fought other city-states to demand tribute, they would fight to capture, not to kill. So they would bring the victim back, and he would be sacrificed on the pyramid. Uh, His body would then be thrown down the pyramid, and um, his captor would engage in ritual cannibalism. Now, this was a mutual kind of thing, because if soldiers from Tenochtitlan were captured, they would also find themselves led up the pyramid in another city-state to be sacrificed. So um, this was a a very common practice in the Aztec uh, areas of conquest. And there were many who, who really believed in this. For example, there was a famous warrior that the Aztecs captured, And he was such a good soldier, they agreed not to sacrifice him if he would fight for them. And he agreed to do that for many years, but then he returned and asked to be sacrificed. Now, there were other people sacrificed as well. Uh, Women uh, were not taken up to the top of the pyramid and had uh, the, the Aztec sacrifice was particularly gory. They would use obsidian knives to cut out the living hearts of their victims and then offer the blood to the gods. Women were not led up the pyramid that way. They usually did a dance at the bottom of the pyramid, and then they would be beheaded. And there were some particularly gory ceremonies where uh, crying children were sacrificed to Tlaloc, who was the um, rain god. And children cried. It was assumed that was good. Um, is there is there any sense in which the um, mass sort of sacrifice of, of the population was connected with some kind of population control? There has been there have been a number of theories about that, but when you think about it, it doesn't it doesn't really make sense because if you really want to control population, the population you want to control are young women who are producing children. So what you're doing is really sacrificing the warriors who, when they come back, are agriculturalists. So actually, no, um, it, it didn't make a demographic sense to sacrifice mostly um, men. You're also sacrificing not your own people. You're sacrificing people from the periphery. Mm-hmm. So then what happens to the Aztecs? Do they die out before the Europeans come? Are they there? Oh, no. The Aztecs are there, fully there, when the Europeans arrive. Tenochtitlan is a wonder, and as described with you know amazing detail by the conquistadors, Cortes was very lucky being able, he being able to conquer Tenochtitlan. Uh, some Spaniard would have done it eventually, given the uh, technology that the uh, Europeans had, the ability to move a lot of people across the Atlantic, the use of steel, the, um, horses. There were many advantages the Europeans had. But that first band of conquistadors, um, they had to win every single battle. And this, again, goes back to the human sacrifice. They had a lot of Indian allies because the allies on the coast, what Cortes did was pick up many Indian uh, groups that were rejected the Aztecs, and they didn't want to send people for human sacrifice, and so they saw the Spaniards as someone to ally with. And so by the time Cortes arrives at Tenochtitlan, he has an army of thousands and thousands of Indian warriors as well as Spaniards. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have one final question. Is Quidditch the modern-day version of the basketball game of Mesoamerica? It's close. It's kind of close. It is, yeah. It looks very similar to what you're describing. Yeah, yeah, it is, except I think the balls are better in Quidditch. (laughs) Okay. Thank you very much, Anne. Okay. You can find a transcript of this episode, along with supplemental documents, suggestions for further reading, and correlations to this Texas and National Educational Standards for History and Geography on our website, 
blogs.utexas.edu backslash 15-Minute History. That's the numerals 1-5-Minute History. You can also find a link to suggest topics for upcoming episodes. The University of Texas at Austin is a free speech campus. Opinions and viewpoints expressed in episodes of 15-Minute History do not represent the official position of the University of Texas or of any of its colleges or departments. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.